Before we get started, if you're enjoying this content, you can do us a favor by subscribing to our YouTube channel and ringing the bell. That'll let the algorithm know that you like this content and it will help us produce more. My biggest feedback is like, go talk about your idea, but then also like put it into action. Welcome to Honest Ecommerce, a podcast dedicated to cutting through the BS and finding actionable advice for online store owners. I'm your host, Chase Clymer, and I believe running a direct-to-consumer brand does not have to be complicated or a guessing game. On this podcast, we interview founders and experts who are putting in the work and creating real results. I also share my own insights from running our top Shopify consultancy, Electric Eye. We cut the fluff in favor of facts to help you grow your e-commerce business. Let's get on with the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Honest E-Commerce. I'm your host, Chase Clymer. And today, we're bringing to the show not one, but two founders of an amazing game. We've got Tim and Scott coming to us from Paddle Smash. Welcome to the show, gentlemen. Thanks, Chase. Nice to be here. Thanks, Chase. Alrighty. So uh, Paddle Smash, quickly, let's tell the audience what types of... What products were you guys bringing to the market? What are we talking about here? What's the business? Yeah. The quick version of this is that it's the love child of Pickleball and Spikeball. So maybe some of your listeners are familiar with both of those games. A little context. Pickleball, fastest growing sport in North America. Uh, It's like a miniature version of tennis and kind of ping pong and uh, booming right now. And then, and then spike ball. I can't, I can't pass my local park without seeing a group of kids out playing spike ball. It's like the round net hitting with their hands down in. And we basically have combined the best elements of those two games and created a new backyard game um, that, uh, that has, you know, some of our favorite elements. It's like playing, think about playing spike ball with, with paddles and with a net system. That's the, that's the quick and dirty version. Absolutely. Yeah. I've, I've been all over the website, watched a few videos. I think it's a, a fantastic thing. Uh, unfortunately, it's getting cold here in Columbus. So I'm going to have to wait till the spring to, to bust mine out. But um, you guys have a fantastic history in uh, entrepreneurship, in, in games, into, in, in, in inventing products, actually. So uh, we'll start with you, Tim. This isn't your first foray into kind of bringing a product to market. Like, Take me back in time. Where do you want to start this story? Yeah, so we'll we'll start uh, about a little over ten years ago. I was a software entrepreneur building a B two B software company, a sales software, and it was venture backed, high stress, running big teams, burning a ton of cash, and as like a side hustle idea. I had I wanted to create a, a board game. I'd read an article in Inc. Magazine about a game called Cards Against Humanity, which most people know about these days. And it kind of laid out in this article the blueprint for how these kids took this game to market because they were just a bunch of high school kids right outside of Chicago. And that's where I lived and kind of known them through some friends. And so I read this article and I was like, oh, that's interesting. I think I could take this idea for a game that, you know, basically we've been playing something uh, when we go up to lake houses, groups of friends late at night, drinking beers, like running on the things to do. And we came up with this game, which ultimately became uh, utter nonsense, which is, which is what I created. And it's basically just like say funny phrases and silly voices. <laughs> it's, not, it's nothing earth shattering as far as the game goes. Uh, but I, 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 I launched it in the market, you know, kind of as a nights and weekends project as I was doing the software company and uh, did a little Kickstarter campaign. Didn't 
crushed it on Kickstarter, but it did enough to kind of hit our funding goal and started the ball rolling. It's the first, the first win, I like to say. And then, um, through that, I was introduced to Scott, who at the time, um, owned some retail stores and he was then ended up being the first retailer to carry my game utter nonsense. So that was kind of how I got started in the, uh, in the game space. Absolutely. Meanwhile, Scott, what were you up to? Yeah. Meanwhile, uh, so I, I got recruited into this venture capital firm called Sandbox Industries in Chicago. And the premise of this uh, VC was that they were hiring young entrepreneurs, not necessarily with any ideas already, uh, but they were giving an office space to them, giving some mentorship and some capital if they liked their idea. It was a little bit like Shark Tank, but more formalized. So you'd sit in this office space, you'd come with ideas, you'd present it to the group. And if they liked it enough, they'd give you a little bit of cash to try it out. And so we would, we would do this. It came to the table with this idea for a brain health store. And people liked it enough that we launched a kiosk at a local mall. That thing kind of grew to an opportunity in a brick and mortar location in downtown Chicago. And it was sort of just like this test and learn and test and learn. And we kept learning enough that we felt like we could open more stores. And, uh, you know, it started as a brain health concept. It evolved to be more of a toy and game concept because uh, that was what people were buying in our stores. And, um, and so ultimately we, we grew to have 40 retail locations across the U.S. And we were kind of like, it was almost like we were a Kickstarter in brick and mortar retail. So we, we would look for this kind of small, brand new ideas that we could help bring to market. And we gave a very hands-on experience in our stores that people could come in and try before they bought. And so it, you know, I was looking for ideas just like Tim's. And so it was this nice fortuitous meeting. Uh, he had a brand new idea. I was looking for brand new ideas and it gave us a nice chance to launch his game. And we kind of hit it off. We were like, you know, whatever happens here, like we should figure out something to do to, to do together down the road. And kind of that's, that's what brought us ultimately together to do what we were doing. Tim, Tim got his game into Target. He got his game ultimately into a bunch of big mass market retail stores and was lucky enough to sell that game to a big private equity backed toy and game company. And so he was, he got out of that game, but was like, fell in love with the industry. I sold my, my chain of stores off as well to a big Canadian company called Spinmaster. And so we both found ourselves with nothing to do anymore, <laughs> but a passion for the industry. And we're like, all right, maybe this is our chance. And this is kind of what leads us up to where we are now, which is we were looking for ideas and we came across this idea of Paddle Smash. You had both exited your previous kind of things and you were actively looking for the, a new passion, a new concept, new business to bring. Uh, and you knew you wanted to work together, but you didn't have pickleball or not, sorry, not pickleball, but paddle smash wasn't there yet. That's right. Yeah. We were interestingly, interestingly enough, we were circling around this concept. So Scott's a really big pickleball player. I've just kind of dabbled in it, but we know enough to pay attention to what's going on and uh, look for trends. And that's, that's something we've looked for in the past. We've launched a couple other things together and it's trying to find trends in the marketplace, social media, obviously what's happening in the news. And you can just see that pickleball is exploding. 
And we were trying to figure out what's an angle to get in there. Cause it's like, you could do paddles, you could do balls, like the game itself already exists. And so we actually have like a sketch at one of our brainstorming sessions where we were trying to come up with a, a concept and it ended up being, you know, very similar to what, what is now paddle smash. Um, and not like two weeks after we had that brainstorming session, Scott was introduced to a local gentleman in Utah near where he lives who it actually came up with what is now Paddle Smash. He had actually built a prototype and had been playing with it for a number of years. And so Scott went and take, took a look at it. And uh, it was just like, you know, we, we, we'd known that we wanted something like this. He went and played it. And uh, it was pretty immediate that he was like, I think this is worth taking a, a harder look at. That's amazing. Um, I do want to take just a quick step back. I know a lot of our audience listening to this, they want to be entrepreneurs. They, they have that passion and the ideation coming up with that, that idea to run with is something that oftentimes is is difficult. Um, so do you have any advice there with how to kind of spot these trends or where to go to get inspiration? Anything with that part of the entrepreneur journey? Yeah. I, so w- one of the fortuitous things was that at my chain of retail stores, I was kind of in the middle of looking for new concepts. So I was constantly having inventors come and pitch to me. And we were coming up with our own ideas. And it's maybe too easy to say it's formulaic. It's not formulaic, but there is a bit of a recipe for how to come up with ideas. And And for the most part, there are no new ingredients. It's a little bit like cooking where there are no new ingredients. They're just rearranging of the ingredients. And and that's what it is in the toy industry, certainly. You could pick any game off of this shelf. And at its core, it's a mix of things that already existed. So you take Tim's concept, this mix of accents, and there's sort of this arbitrary judge. That all came back ultimately to a game called Apples to Apples. And really, Cards Against Humanity borrowed its mechanics from Apples to Apples. They all just kind of borrow these little, these little pieces. It's like the idea of stealing like an artist. You steal these little elements and then you use your little artistic ability to mix them up and put them together. And so that's what we were looking to do. We just are kind of like trying to put our finger on the pulse of what we were seeing out there. Like Tim said, pickleball was taking off. We were like, there's something here, but where, like, what is it for us? And then, you know, spike ball has been the biggest success story in outdoor games in the last 10 years. Um, my stores were one of the very first retail stores to carry it. And so I got to watch their, uh, their rise and, you know, learned a lot from what they were doing. Um, it was really exciting space. And then, you know, the other thing is that we were just looking at in the toy industry, the trends in that space and the outdoor game space was booming and is booming. Part of it was COVID related where people were looking for something outdoor and active to do, but they could do it kind of in their own backyard. So you just kind of, you know, my advice to anyone looking is you just have to, you have to keep your ears and eyes open for opportunities. And when you spot them, it doesn't necessarily mean, so if I saw that there was an opportunity in kind of burger restaurants, you know, you could go smack dab after that. You can say, all right, well, everyone's doing burger restaurants. I'm going to do a burger restaurant. But what I would, I would advise is you'd say, all right, well, Burgers are trending. Korean food is trending. I'm going to do a Korean food burger hybrid and like mix those ingredients together and kind of create something unique. That's at least my take is rather than go head on against this really crowded space, you try and come up with something unique there. I was given advice once that if you're the only one doing something, you're either a genius or an idiot. Um, and 
I still don't know. I'd say like juries out on whether we're geniuses or idiots for doing something unique in the pickleball space. I mean, we could have gone right after it and created our own paddle brand and maybe would be having a lot of success. Certainly, there are some very successful paddle brands right now. But it's not what I want to do. It's not what Tim wants to do. We like to take unique angles and try and find something that's tangential to the crowded space, um, but that we can ride the coattails of that space. No, I, I think that's an amazing advice. Uh, and I think that this is going to be an episode that I definitely refer a lot of people back to uh, when it finally airs. Hey there, Merchant. Are you tired of trying to navigate the wild world of e-commerce on your own? Are you looking for a partner to help you achieve your goals? Look no further than the Shopify Plus agency, Electric Eye. Our team has a proven track record of helping our clients make millions with strategic design and development. Whether you're migrating from a legacy platform to Shopify, designing a new theme for your store, or just looking to optimize what you already have, Electric Eye is the perfect partner for you. Electric Eye are true Shopify experts. Not only is our Shopify knowledge unparalleled, but we have partnerships with all the best tech in the Shopify ecosystem. And don't worry, we're easy to get a hold of. Our clients rave about our fast communication. So here's the deal. If you're an e-commerce business doing over $1 million a year, you can receive a complimentary Shopify diagnostic from our team of experts. That's free, personalized strategic recommendations to improve your store and grow your business. To get started, head on over to electriceye.io slash connect to schedule an intro call with one of our experts. That's electriceye.io slash connect. Struggling to get your Merchant Center ads approved but keep running into a price mismatching error? Wondering how your competitors are showing reviews, price, delivery, and product availability directly in search results? What if there's a way to get more traffic without fighting for rankings? Well, that's where Jason LD for SEO comes in. It's an app that gets you more organic traffic to your Shopify store, qualifying you for over a dozen search enhancements, and provides all of the structured data you need for Merchant Center. JSONLD for SEO automatically adds the structured data needed and it's updated regularly as the rules change by Google. It's a hands-off SEO app that you don't need to monkey around with to get working. It's the safest, easiest, and most effective way to stand out from your competitors in search results. Contact us to get your free structured data audit for your store. Find JSONLD for SEO in the Shopify app store to get started. That's J-S-O-N-L-D for SEO, or go to J-S-O-N-L-D dot app. All right. So let's fast forward a little bit. You have uh, the idea. You uh, f- somehow find a, a local gentleman with a prototype that you, you go play. What happens from there? So uh, yeah, let me give a little more backstory to this gentleman because he's not only an important piece of the story, it's a cool story as well. Uh, so this guy's name, his name is Joe Bingham. Uh, he's an older gentleman with seven kids. Uh, grow, you know, they're, I think the youngest is probably like 12. And uh, so he and his kids, they love playing pickleball. And like a lot of people right now, they have pickleball courts. Yes, they're all over the place, but not not literally everywhere. So he has to drive like 20 minutes to go to the nearest pickleball court, which is now typically crowded because of everybody getting into it. So they're just like, ah, like that's annoying. And then on top of that, like, well, they used to play spike ball as well, um, but they've kind of outgrown it. Again, Joe's a little bit older, can't really keep up with his kids. And Joe happens to be a structural engineer by trade. So he's just a very like handy guy, likes to tinker around in his garage. He's 
familiar and comfortable with a CNC machine or a router. So he starts playing around with, he's like, what can I, what can we do in our backyard uh, that we can all play together? And so he kind of brings these two concepts together, buys some big sheets of plastic, orders some netting and just basically, you know, Frankenstein's this thing together, but actually made like a very nice prototype that he and his family and his neighbors and his friends ended up playing this game for like two years. And he just really didn't know what to do with it. And so um, that was where, you know, he was introduced through a mutual friend to Scott and uh, we ended up licensing the idea. So, you know, one thing we can just pause here for one second is that it's kind of, at least in the toy and game space, there's like a couple of different routes you can go. Um, sometimes that means being a self-publisher. So we are publishing this game in this instance with my utter nonsense game. I created it, but I also published it. Uh, the other route is to go get a royalty. So if you've got an idea where, you know, you, you want to bring it to market, but you don't have the know-how, you don't have the money, the chops, there's people looking for great ideas all the time in this space. And so if you're able to get a meeting with some of these folks, um, it's kind of like what Scott's role was in his past life, meeting with inventors. Um, if they like your idea, they'll pay you a royalty. And so that's exactly what we did with Joe. Um, so we have you know a royalty agreement, agreement with Joe based on sales. And um, we're then taking all the risk of you know, because we had a rough prototype from him. He worked out a lot of the kinks in terms of like the design and the gameplay, but it was by no means uh, production ready, ready for mass retail. So we had to start over, get an industrial design and engineering firm to help us create a version that was portable, you know, lightweight, could sit on store shelves, bring it into the price point that consumers could purchase it, all that stuff. So, and then manufacturing sales, all that, you know, so that's on us. And so we're actually the ones that are, you know, bringing this thing to life. Absolutely. And I guess a follow-up question there, and obviously you don't have to share specifics, but when you're getting into a licensing agreement like that, you mentioned that uh, one side is assuming a majority of the risk. So if there's an entrepreneur out there right now, what you know, what does a typical deal like that look like? Or what should they be expecting in those conversations? Yeah, I, I'm happy to be transparent here. I, in, the, in the toy industry, it's almost always 5% or less for a brand new inventor. Um, I'd say 5 is typically kind of the ceiling for a brand new inventor. You can get above that if you have... Because they don't have a track record? If you have a track record, if you have brand recognition. So if you could say on your packaging something like from the inventor of Scrabble, um, then that means a lot. The other thing is if that person had some social proof or some validation of that concept. So if they've already been selling it for a period of time... Um, and and what that, that allows you to do, number one, is you know have more confidence in the idea. But number two, the game's hopefully already pretty far along. Um, so you're not having to write the instructions. You're not having to kind of do the graphic work potentially. Um, and when that happens, you'll see some licensing deals that are 7 and even up to like 11 or 12%. If it's up in 11 12%, it is a big name and it's a game that already has traction. Um, but yeah, I'd say it's almost always around 5%. Um, I, I myself have licensed 5 or 6 games and I get 5%. Um, even with my experience in the industry, you know, 5 is very standard. No, that's a fantastic answer. And just uh, the the advantage of that is you're basically done, right? You just sit back and collect a check if everything goes according to plan. Yeah, I mean, so obviously the the upside is of course that you don't have to worry about it after that. Um, you know, you just like kind of clean your hands of it and you get a check every quarter. 
it's a really nice thing to do. There are hard parts about it. You lose complete control of your idea. Um, so if it is an idea you feel very passionate about, you don't have any say in what that looks like when it comes to market. Um, I have one personal experience with this. I came up with an idea that I really liked and thought there was big opportunity around. But I just was swamped with other stuff. And I was like, I don't have time to bring this to market. So I pitched it to a big company. They licensed it from me. And they took it in a direction I completely disagreed with. Um, they decided to go after the adult party space. I was like, this is perfect for kind of a tween age kid. They're like, no, this is adult party. And I disagreed, but I had no control over it. I had no say in what they did with it. And I will say like, as a result, I don't think the game did as well as it could have. And so I got small royalty checks, but I had, it wasn't my decision anymore. Once I decided to license it off. So uh, it, it is a decision every single time, whether you want to do it yourself or you want to license it off. Um, if, you, if it's something you feel very passionate about and you feel like you have know-how around um, for getting it to market because it is hard to get a game to market, then try it yourself. Um, but I think Tim is a really good example of when it makes sense to try it yourself. Um, with his game under nonsense, it checked a few boxes. One, he could make it domestically, minimizes risk a bit. But I'd say like the big thing there is you can do really small order sizes. So I don't know how many Tim you ordered in your first order. I mean, a thousand pieces. Do you remember? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, it's like a thousand pieces, and what are they like three or four bucks to produce? Yeah, for, I mean, that, that volume probably a little more, but yeah, around there. So let's say it's five thousand dollars. So you like your risk is five thousand dollars. If you start doing plastic tooled items and you're doing it overseas, I mean, you're in, in at twenty to $30,000 before you even know if someone's going to buy this thing from you. So I'd say if you're going to go the self-publishing route and don't have a lot of industry experience, choose a type of game that's really cheap to produce. Um, you don't have to tool anything up for. Um, so it, it's always a big decision, but I'd say generally... Licensing is the is a far safer route to take. You just get a smaller piece of the pie. Awesome! Thank you so much for that answer. Let's bring it back now to your game. So you have licensed this product. What now? Yeah. So as I was starting to say, I mean, the first thing we had to do was make it so that it was ready for mass retail. So you know, for the past year or so, we've been in design, uh, working with an engineering firm to you know create it uh, almost like from ground up of what he had um a version that we can now you know take to stores and take to to to, to mass market um so we then from there had to find a manufacturer uh, in our case we have like a very large injection molded plastic base which is not something that a lot of people can do we almost have no one in the United States that can make this product for us so we are building it offshore in China uh, fortunately have that's that's where there's little pieces of this story that because of Scott and I's background in this space and just knowing some of the different people to work with, uh, we fortunately have really good relationships with some of these manufacturers overseas. And uh, so we work with a great company in China that's creating the game for us right now. It's manufacturing it. And um, we just got our first shipment in a couple of weeks ago. And so we are now you know live in the market. And uh, it's like kind of a... I don't know. It was a little bit of a hope and a prayer. We were like, let's just, let's get this thing out there before we really talk to anybody as far as retailers go. Cause we, we built up a Shopify website. We built up an Amazon listing. So those are the things that obviously we can control our own destiny with. Um, and that's kind of like the trend these days is that even for direct to consumer folks that, or I should say, even for people who want to go into retail, excuse me, 
it's nice to be able to have this leverage by having your own sites that you can control to get some of that traction that Scott's talking about before you're having these conversations with potential buyers at, com- at, at, at these retailers. And so that's our strategy. It's like, let's, let's get the reviews going. Let's get sales going. Let's get the word out there, you know, and then we'll approach some of the retailers that we want to work with. Well, we diverted from that strategy a little bit and just said, eh, screw it. Let's just give it a try. Let's talk to a couple that we'd want to work with if like, you know, just who knows? Well, lo and behold, they all said yes. <laughs> um, so very unusual uh, to have a product that was pre-launch and pre-revenue get accepted into mass retail. And so I can speak publicly now that we will be in Dick's Sporting Goods here shortly. And then um, next spring, we'll be in Shields, which is like a regional version of Dick's. And, uh, and then there's another company called Chicken and Pickle, which is like this kind of entertainment. Uh, I'll think of it almost like a pickleball for top, top, like a top golf pickleball, um, concept where you go eat, play pickleball, et cetera, but they're kind of exploding in the, in like the Midwest and the Southwest. Um, so those were the three that were like high on our list as far as companies we want to work with. And we just said, let's see if we can get a meeting. And fortunately, we're going to be working with all three here shortly. Oh, that's fantastic news. Um, I know that uh, my listeners would be mad at me if I didn't ask this question, which is, you're launching this on your own own website. What are the strategies that you're using to get this in front of like the end customer through like digital channels? Yeah, I mean, this is this is our testing phase. You know, back back up just a little bit. We when we were originally working towards getting this to market, we had hoped to launch it the spring of of 2022. So, you know, call it seven months ago, we hope to have the product ready. Everything just takes longer than you ever think it will. It always does. And somehow, after I've made 160 of these things, I still haven't learned my lesson around how long it all always takes. And so we didn't get it until this fall. And so we kind of said to each other, you know, rather than go aggressive, let's use this as a test and learn phase. And so that's what we're doing. We're trying a bunch of stuff. Um, some of the stuff, you know, we, we've been lucky to have some pioneers in this outdoor space. That we've been able to be friends with and learn a lot from. Um, Spikeball being one, Crossnet. For those, I, I, hopefully, some of your listeners have heard of Crossnet. It's a quickly growing outdoor game that's like a four square meets volleyball. Again, like the mixing of recipe, uh, mixing of ingredients. Um, they they've had a lot of success over the last three years. Chris was one of the first twenty guests, I think. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So Chris has been a good friend to us and has been uh, helpful and given us a lot of advice. And one of the things that we've learned from both of them is you just have to kind of get it out. There's like this inherent virality to games. And I'd say especially outdoor games. When you are out playing, people see it and they want to know about it. Um, and so, you know, you get a set of... If you take... If I were to take Paddle Smash right now to my local park invariably, someone will come up and ask me about it. And they want to know more. And if I'm able to kind of say, well, yeah, like, go to this site and get 20 bucks off uh, and and you can buy it. Well, there's a little bit of a snowball effect. And we've already seen that. So I'm here in Utah. And we've kind of said to ourselves, well, let's start in Utah in many ways and like kind of test this snowball effect. So I went to... Here's all I've done so far. I've gone to one local festival... And I went to one event at the local reta- uh, sporting goods retailer Shields and like spent an afternoon on a Saturday showing off the game. 
And between those two, two things, I think something like 95% of our sales so far have happened in Utah. Um, and it's just become this like, I was at the festival for two days and enough people saw it that enough people bought it that then when they bought it and started playing it, their friends saw it. It's just this funny thing. You start to see these little pockets form. Um, and you know, Utah is really ripe for this for some weird reason. I mean, we all know each other. It's like tight knit community, but spike ball, it's the fastest, um, spike ball. It's like the epicenter of spike ball is here in, in Utah as well. Um, and so we just spread things quickly. So we were like, all right, let's take advantage of me living in Utah and uh, try and use a little bit of that snowball effect. So that's one thing we actually have on our site, a way to kind of formalize that we call it paddle cash. Um, and it's basically an ambassador program and our affiliate program. If when you transact on our, our site and buy our product, you immediately get signed up to be an affiliate. You'll get sent a code that you can use. And so if you're out playing and someone asks you about it, you can give them 20 bucks off. And if they buy using your code, you'll get 20 bucks back. Um, so for us, it's just us saying, all right, what has worked for these other companies? And it's getting people out to play and giving them an incentive to spread the word and uh, to evangelize for you. So that's, that's one big thing we're doing. Tim, you can take some of the others. So we are going the traditional digital marketing route. Uh, we have hired an agency um, that is going to be that's just engaged on the ads for Instagram and Facebook. Um, so we're getting going with that right now. And then uh, we've also got the Amazon listing and you know doing ad, you know, have an ad program for that as well. Um, so th- those are like the main ones. You know, let's say we're on this podcast. That's another. <laughs> you know, so we are doing a a, a podcast tour, and uh, yeah, just. I like to say, you know, we're just trying to increase our surface area of luck, you know, let luck find us by getting out there and just spreading the word and evangelizing. And, you know, hopefully that gets uh, a few sparks going. Yeah. One thing we've learned is we, th- we think pickleball, I'm sorry, we think, we think pickleball is, is our target audience, pickleball players. Um, you know, there's these two worlds, pickleball and spikeball and our, our products emerge of those, but it, we're picking one of those as kind of what we think will be the market. And as such, we're looking for, for pickleball players, professional pickleball players that we can work with. Um, from a sponsorship perspective or sort of product for post. And so we've got a lot of that in the works right now. Nothing formalized yet. Um, but a lot of professional pickleball players that we will be kind of working with. Um, for them, it's not competing with their current sponsors. You know, it's not, we're not a paddle company. We're not an apparel company trying to come in, come in and take over someone else's sponsorship. It's something that they can add on to what they're already doing. And so for them, they kind of, when we talk about it, they're like, this is great. It's like another thing that is kind of like pickleball, but I can do it without, without kind of treading on top of current sponsorships. Absolutely. That's fantastic. And this is a great segue into letting the listeners know where they can go to check out the game, uh, to buy it if they're super interested, what should they do? They can go to uh, paddlesmash.com uh, or find us on on Amazon. We're live on on both of those. Uh, I'll just say, as most people probably listening to this understand the economics of uh, direct-to-consumer, paddlesmash.com would probably be preferable. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so, you know, and then shortly we'll be in select stores for dicks uh, and then next spring rolling out in some other locations. But uh, for sure, you know, paddlesmash.com or find us on Amazon. 
Absolutely. Now, is there anything that I forgot to ask you about that you want to leave with our listeners before we go? I don't think so. I'm trying to think if we missed anything. I think we covered it all. You did a good job. Yeah. it's. Uh, I, here's what I'll leave you with. I've made, like I said, I think I've made 160 games in my career. Um, and maybe there's, maybe it's recency bias, but I don't think so. I think this is my favorite thing I've ever made. Uh, I like. There's just always, every time I've come out with a game... There's this period when it's out in the market where I'm like, is this even good? I think I forget if it's good. And I felt that with this. It was like after a year of working on it, you're like, is this even fun? And I got it, I'd like gotten it back out. I think we go over to my, my brother-in-law's house and play with my nieces and nephews. And it's like genuinely a great time. Like people stop playing pickleball and they come over and they start playing this. And it's like, it is really a, a great fun activity. So it's just like, uh, I think the overarching message I want to say to kind of your, your listeners is, uh, man, find something you love to do. It makes it so much more fun when you're selling something you love. And so when I'm like out there slinging this thing, like I am having a ton of fun and feel genuine passion for it. Um, so it makes it a lot easier. I mean, I thought of something. Sorry. Uh, I'll add my, I'm just going to give advice, uh, unwarranted and unasked for advice uh, to the listeners. And, you know, Scott and I both meet with a lot of kind of wannabe entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs. And the one thing we've realized is that they just want to like talk about their idea. And even then it's like, they're hesitant to talk about the idea. And that's, I guess my biggest feedback is like, go talk about your idea, but then also like put it into action. Um, Cause like, you know, signing an NDA, things like that. Like nobody cares about your idea like you do. And so go out there, get that like just raw feedback from people outside of your family and friends. Cause all your family and friends are going to tell your idea is great. So that's not good feedback. You want to talk to people that don't know you have never, you know, worked with you. Um, try to just get that raw feedback on your idea to understand if you really have something. It costs you nothing um, before you then start to take next steps, but definitely go take next steps also. Um, you just got to jump in. You just got to jump in. I love that. That's amazing advice. Tim and Scott, this was an awesome interview. I can't thank you guys enough for coming on the show today. Thanks, Chase. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Chase. We can't thank our guests enough for coming on the show and sharing their knowledge and journey with us. We've got a lot to think about and potentially add into our own businesses. You can find all the links in the show notes. You can subscribe to the newsletter at honestycommerce.co to get each episode delivered right into your inbox. If you're enjoying this content, consider leaving a review on iTunes. That really helps us out. Lastly, if you're a store owner looking for an amazing partner to help you get your Shopify store to the next level, reach out to Electric Eye at electriceye.io. Until next time.